37 million T-Mobile customers have had their data made available on the internet. The incident comes just days after Uber suffered its own data breach. Today's episode is about a man who became so obsessed with collecting data on people that he ended up launching 16 companies dedicated solely on spying and data collection. We shall call this man Mr. P. At first, Mr. P was merely a curious soul, like many of us who tinker with the latest gadgets and advances in technology. But as time passed, his curiosity turned into a hunger, an obsession with collecting data on people. Mr. P lived in New York City and worked for a large technology firm, but behind the veil of his professional life, Mr. P had a darker side. began to develop software that could track people's online activities and monitor their every move. At first, it was just a hobby, but soon his obsession grew and grew, consuming him entirely. His curiosity turned into a kind of mania, and Mr. P began to spy on his friends and family members, recording their conversations and tracking their movements. He even went so far as to develop software specifically designed to allow people to spy on their romantic partners, which he called stalkerware. The promise his technology provided in gathering the intimate details about people's lives was a huge success, and Mr. P started selling it online. But as with all things, Mr. P's actions were eventually discovered by the authorities. After a lengthy trial, Mr. P was found guilty and fined over $400,000, He was also banned from developing any further software designed to spy on people. Yet Mr. P was not discouraged. He saw this as a challenge, an opportunity to be more covert in his activities. He began to work with other cyber criminals in the shadows of the internet, selling his software to hackers and criminals. Mr. P's business empire continued to grow and he moved to a different state all in the effort to avoid legal repercussions. Okay, welcome to the very first episode of The Lockdown, recorded on March 10th, 2023. Now, that was actually a true story. I'll go into details of that in a moment. Yeah, the purpose of this podcast is to really share the privacy tips and security tips that I incorporate into my daily life. Um, I've seen many people comment in the past that achieving this uh, desired state of ultimate privacy in your life is just too overwhelming, too much of a a mammoth task and impossible to achieve. Honestly, don't try and take it all on as one big effort. Just take small steps in your daily life to protect your privacy. And that's uh, the whole premise behind this podcast. Now, the one tagline behind this podcast is no tinfoil hat is required. Now, what I mean by that is this. This is not for the extreme privacy enthusiast. It would be a dream of mine to say that I've achieved this pure state of privacy where I live in a cabin in the middle of the mountains paid for by cash and it's not registered on any public record. And I'm living there with solar panels on the roof. And uh, in the evening, I light my fire outside and have a a barbecue, uh, have some vegetables growing in the back. Yeah, that's that's a dream. I don't think uh, that's reality for most of us. And like many of us, 
I'm married, I have kids, I have a job, I have a, a daily life to have to manage and deal with. All right, well, so who was Mr. P? Now, this was, as I said, a true story. So last week, I was doing my annual privacy checkup. In fact, I normally do this about two or three times a year, which basically means I go through a list of hundreds of people search sites. And for each one, I'm typing my name and the name of my my wife as well to see if I can find our details listed. Then if I get a hit, I obviously make note of the site and go through their opt-out process. Now, some sites are easier than others. Uh, You may have to send them an email. Some of them have an online form where you opt out by copying the, the, the URL with your data. But this is one thing that's quite shady. When you find a hit on some of these sites, you get partial data, have your name and perhaps the town and state you live in. But they will ask you to pay anywhere from $2 to, say, $5 to unlock the record. Now, I don't do this on every one, but there's one particular site. I was curious what they had on me, so I paid $2. Now, don't do this with your your real debit card. Uh, I use privacy.com because I can impose a $2 limit and I can use an alias name, so they're not getting any more information on me. In fact, as part of these opt-out processes, the number one rule, don't give them any more information than they already have. For example, if they only have your first and last name, Don't go giving him your middle name. Anyway, using privacy.com, I created a single-use card with a $2 limit and requested to unlock my data. Now, the first response I got from them was, we will happily remove your data. Please provide us with a copy of your driving license or passport. Now, my first tip here, and one of the methods I use, um, is to just say, oh, I'm a European citizen. I don't have a US driving license or a passport to give you. I'm only living here temporarily. Now, the reason I do this is because of GDPR. This is Europe's general data protection regulation. Now, technically, if they know GDPR, it really, yes, it applies internationally, but only to citizens of Europe, including the UK. There's UK GDPR. So if you reside in the UK or anywhere in Europe, then GDPR does apply. Obviously, if you're living in the US, it doesn't. But the threat of GDPR Uh, is sometimes enough to get them just to remove the data. In my case, it wasn't. I got a second email saying, in order to remove your data, please provide us a copy of your driving license or passport. So I thought, okay, if you're going to play this game, I'm going to step it up to level two, which is my second method. Now, just as a, a hypothetical scenario, what if you had a child that shares the same name as you? Now, if my child shares the same name and lives in the household and is under 13, then something called COPPA comes into effect. This is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. So my second email to them was, I'm requesting this data be removed because my child shares the same name as my wife. I no longer live at the property, but my wife does with my daughter, who is under 13 years of age. The third email I got from them was, apologies for the delay, we'll make sure your data is removed within the next three business days. That was three business days ago and I've just checked and they have removed my data. So I had a a success there. Interestingly, though, the the payment card I used with privacy.com to unlock my record, they tried billing $39.95 to it last night. Um, And this actually doesn't surprise me. So I decided to jump down the rabbit hole and uh, like they say on the Matrix, just see how far it goes. And I found out the owner of the People Search site, in fact, he has multiple sites, 
was our very own Mr. P, the very guy that was developing these stalkerware applications. Now, obviously, his entire business model is just based around creepiness and collecting our data. There was a bunch of ads aimed at people that want to spy on their their wife or their husband or, or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be. And the instructions of the app basically walk them through jailbreaking the device. Now, when you jailbreak a device, uh, let's say it's an iPhone, you're essentially getting root access to the the device. You're giving the app unfettered access to the the device itself. So this allowed the application to read Gmail messages, collate information from contact information, WhatsApp messages. It was also activating the microphone and webcam. Now, I don't doubt for a moment that the, uh, the app developer behind this isn't using all this contact information that this app is basically sucking up to complement their people search database. And this is the problem. And one part of privacy that you cannot control. How are you going to stop a friend storing your name and home address in their contacts? And that that very friend ends up installing one of these malicious apps and leaking your data. Now, I'm sure they're not going to do this intentionally, but people don't realize this is the kind of threat that exists out there. In the show notes, I'll be sure to include a link to the news article and you can look at all the gory details for yourself. In the UK, where I am originally from, a lot of data such as the electoral voting register is indeed public information, but you had to physically go to the town hall and request it in person. Uh, I never actually did this, so I have no idea what the process is or how easy it is to do it. But it was the fact is it just was not available online. And this is actually one of the most surprising aspects for me uh, moving to the United States. Now, what can we do about it? Well, I guess the first option is we can just try and opt out from being listed in these public records. In my case, I did approach the county and asked if they could redact my information. I just got met with uh, absolutely not. This is public record and we can't do anything about it. Now, I guess this does depend on the state in which you live, um, but there is another option. The second option is to put your home, your title deed of your house, into a revocable living trust. Now, a revocable living trust is basically a legal arrangement in which a person known as a grantor transfers the ownership of their assets into a trust, which is managed by a trustee. Now, the grantor and the trustee can actually be the same person. In fact, this is very common. Now, the benefit of a trust is really that it allows you, you're the grantor, to avoid probate. And this is this legal process that can go on over many months of distributing a person's assets after their death. Now, it doesn't replace a will, you still need that. But by placing your assets, your home, your car, your bank accounts and so on into a trust, you can ensure that they're distributed according to your wishes without the need for probate. Now, privacy is just a side effect, but what a huge benefit It's worth mentioning that I did actually have some trouble initially with the name of my trust. I don't know if this is specific to the county I live in or perhaps it's a state thing. But the estate planning attorney I was using was absolutely adamant. I had to use my real name, such as Ray Heffer's Private Trust or or something along those lines. He says, you need your real names as part of the trust. But I just point blank refused. I said, no, I've done a search of title deeds in the county I just typed the words trustee of and there were plenty of results like trustee of the American Football League or whatever the trust is called. Just avoid using your real name. Now, it's worth mentioning also that in some states, trusts are indeed private documents and the identities of the grantor and the trustees are not publicly disclosed. In other states, 
the trust is subject to reporting or filing requirements, so the identities of the grantor and trustees may be made public. I still think it's worth having a revocable living trust, though, because the name of your property title, which is what comes back from these online public record searches, will be your trust name. So give it something ambiguous that doesn't include your your name and uh, you should be good to go. Slight caveat here, do bear in mind I am not a legal expert or an estate planning attorney. In fact, you want to hire one. Initially, you may think setting up a trust is this huge uh, mammoth task. But really, if you hire an estate planning attorney, they do all the heavy lifting for you. And certainly from my experience, it was actually less work than doing my tax return each year. And you only need to do this once, by the way. Very strong recommendation, get your real name out of the public records. All right, so where else is your name listed publicly? Well, domain names is another one. In fact, when I first started working in the tech industry, this was in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, there was no option for privacy for your domain registration. It would have your, your email, your name and address and phone number listed for the admin contact, the registrant and, and the technical contact. These days, though, many domain registrars uh, give you a privacy option. Don't pay for it. It should be free. I personally use Namecheap.com. Uh, please don't use GoDaddy, whatever you do. I'll let you just just Google them and in the news. You'll, you'll see why. I, I don't like them as a company. But Namecheap seem to be very good. They offer a free privacy option and their domain prices are pretty reasonable. Um, I like the security. I've got two-factor authentication on there. Um, it's a nice, straightforward uh, process. It's just worth noting, I'm not sponsored by Namecheap. In fact, I won't be sponsored by any of the companies I mention in in this podcast. They're just genuinely companies that I've used for at least the last four or five years and had a good experience with. Okay, so what do you do when your personal data has ended up in a breach and it's available online? Nothing. There's actually nothing you can do about it at all. If your data is in a breach, then it's too late. You're not going to be able to go to these breached forums or some site on, on tour and say, yeah, excuse me, could you take my information out of that breach? Thank you very much. That, that's just not going to happen. But this is what you can do. First, you've really got to assume that a breach is going to happen. So let's, let's take control of this from today, right now. Every single company that you deal with, whether it's your account with Starbucks or you have a, a rewards account at the local barbershop, when you give them any information... You don't give them your real phone number. You don't give them your real address. I'd say optionally, don't give them your real name, but that may be going into the more extreme side of things, which leads on to my, I think it's my third tip. I'm losing track. And that is using an alternative address. So there are some options out there. You have USPS PO box uh, facilities. I don't like them, um, mainly because if you try and order some things online, a lot of them don't like shipping to PO box numbers. So really, you have two other alternatives. You have the UPS store that have a private mailbox option. And what I like about this is you actually get a real street address. And the way they deal with the mailbox number, it's just suite 201 or whatever it may be. And then the second option there is using a commercial private mailbox. I have had less experience with that, but I know there are companies that will scan your mail, do forwarding and other things. And these are really not associated with UPS or anyone. They're just private mailbox services and they'll forward your mail. Now, my recommendation is using a UPS store. I've found my local store to be actually very friendly. Um, I've only got a tiny mailbox with them, but I've had some huge deliveries shipped there 
and they've been kind enough just to keep it out the back uh, until I arrive to collect it. Now, obviously, you have to pay uh, an annual fee for these, but now you can start getting things shipped to an alternative address. So when, and I'm saying when, that breach happens, your home address is not in the breach. And by the way, anything you're getting shipped to your house, um, don't put it in your real name. You can use an alias name. In fact, you can use the name of your, your pet dog or your cat, your, your goldfish. It doesn't matter. Now, you may be wondering, OK, well, how do I do that? Because they're going to ask for my credit card information and that requires my real name and address for the billing info. OK, so tip number four. Now, I mentioned them earlier. Privacy.com has been great. I've been using them for many years. Now, when you first look at it, you may be a bit freaked out because it asks you to link to the bank account and you have to put your bank account username and password in. There is another option. I think you may have to request it. So I'm not 100% on this, but you can use your card details to link instead, which is what I do. Now, I have been using them for years. I've had zero trouble. And the great thing is, is you can basically generate uh, a merchant or a single use card. So a merchant is just that. It's tied to the, the first uh, merchant that uses it. So if you sign up for, let's say, a Starbucks account, I keep using that as an example, but uh, it's a good one. You sign up for a Starbucks account in the name of Gandalf the Grey. You can use a privacy card and the, the name doesn't matter. You can put anything you like there. You may get some interesting reactions when you order your uh, Grande Latte under Gandalf the Grey. I think I might have to try that next time. But the other option, you don't have to use privacy.com, is just use these Visa gift cards. You see them in uh, Target and Walmart and other supermarkets. You preload them or you buy uh, $200 or I think you can get up to $500 and then just use them as a normal credit card. Again, they're not going to have a name associated with it or, or an address. Okay, I think I'm actually uh, forgetting how to count. So that last one was tip number five, I believe. So on to number six, phone numbers. This one is actually more about security and also some privacy as well. Now, if you've had your mobile phone number for some time, as well as being listed on these creepy people search sites that we've been talking about, there's also caller ID sites and even apps you can install. Uh, by the way, don't do that. They're going to be stealing your contacts as well. So I really recommend using virtual phone numbers. I personally use MySudo. Um, it's an app you can get for Android and iPhone. And it allows me to have up to nine virtual phone numbers. I have one for personal one for work, one for banking, one for travel, one for junk. Um, I've got another one in the name of uh, Elliot Alderson from the TV show Mr. Robot. Um, that's uh, just for a bit of fun. If someone asks for my phone number and I don't really want to give it to them, I'll uh, put on the persona of Elliot. But either way, I don't give my real cell phone number out to anybody. I don't know what it is. I don't care. I essentially just use the SIM card for data. And I really wish, by the way, that we could just have data-only SIM cards. I know they do exist before someone shoots me down in flames, but they're not very accessible. I want a prepaid data-only SIM, and that would be great. Now, why is this good for security? Well, typically, banks will require a phone number for two-factor authentication. Unfortunately, many banks don't allow for YubiKey or Google Authenticator. They just want a mobile phone number to send a, a text message to. Now, for security, this is actually quite bad because SIM swap attacks are very prevalent. They typically involve social engineering where someone will contact your cell phone provider. And by the way, that's very easy to find out. Again, with these caller ID sites, you can find out who that is. 
and they will social engineer their way into your account. Typically, it goes along the lines of, hey, I'm traveling. I've lost my phone. Is there anything you can do? I'm waiting for an urgent call. And uh, the security questions they go through are pretty much stuff you can find online anyway. But once they have access to your phone number, then they can receive two-factor SMS messages and then gain access to your accounts. And the other reason is it's technically possible to track your location through your phone number. But if your phone number is not associated in your real name and no one has a clue what your phone number is, it's going to be very difficult to be traced and tracked. Now, this does kind of enter the realm of the tinfoil hat wearer. Um, But I think it's an important note because it really doesn't take much effort to use virtual numbers and just keep your SIM number private. Now, I get it. Most of your family and friends use iPhones and they use iMessage. And if you use a virtual phone number, iMessage isn't going to work. And you're going to be the the boring one that uses SMS messages. You know, who does that these days? And I get it. I'm the... uh, the boring person that can't use iMessage. Well, you can. You can actually associate iMessage with uh, an email address. Just make sure it's the default sender for iMessage if you use iPhone. And if you use an Android, then it doesn't matter anyway. You know, I use Signal as my primary messenger. It's actually surprising how many people in my contacts do use Signal, my work colleagues and people I, I didn't expect. So don't think you'll be the only one that uh, uses Signal. You may be surprised, and um, in time, um, I've managed to slowly convince my friends to jump on board the bandwagon of Signal, and now they know if they want to get hold of me, that's how you do it. All right, so how do we keep that SIM card number private? How do we register that in an alias name? Well, first off, I cannot stand contracts. I don't have a contract for anything. If we're not going to use a contract, then what's our option? We have to go with a prepaid SIM card. Now, I get it. You're not going to get a free iPhone every year and prepaid is slightly more expensive. But I do think the benefit we get with privacy is really worth it. Now, the two prepaid plans I use are Simple Mobile and Mint. And you can you can pick these up in, I think, Target and Walmart and places like that. You can get them online. Now, I've only had trouble once when I was in an airport activating my Mint Mobile. And obviously, I had a privacy card. I was using an alias name and uh, they wanted me to call in. And I did. I called and said, I'm trying to register online. It's not letting me. Um, I'd like to do this over the phone. And I actually had no problem at all. I, I guess they just wanted to make sure I was uh, not chat GPT, actually, or, or AI or whatever it is they're concerned about. So Simple Mobile and Mint, they're both really good options. And again, if you use privacy.com, you can use any name uh, for the billing. So it's not going to be tied to your real name. Now, obviously, once you do that, don't give that number to anybody. Now, there are going to be situations where you try and register with an online service. It needs a phone number and it will send a message. And because it's a virtual number or this VoIP number, you don't receive the uh, message with the code. Now, in that case, um, I actually have a a number of secondary or or burner SIMs. These are the cheapest option I can get with Simple Mobile or Mint just for that reason. I pay for a month. Uh, The minimum amount is like $10 or whatever it may be. And then I just burn that and then uh, go on to the next one. Okay, it's not ideal and it's uh, almost encroaching into this tinfoil hat territory, but uh, it's what I do. So to summarize then this first show, we had, and I've lost count, but I think we have seven tips. So the first one is our privacy checkup. Go through all the people search sites and all these uh, caller ID sites that have your details and request that they do an opt out. Number two, you're going to put your home 
uh, into a revocable living trust. This is going to remove your name from public records. I think this is the biggest and probably, okay, it's going to cost some money hiring an estate planning attorney, but the biggest thing you can do for your privacy. If you have any custom domain names, use Namecheap, use their privacy option. That's number three. Then number four, set up a private mailbox, whether that's with a UPS store or one of the other commercial uh, private mailbox providers. Just have something where you can get your primary mail forwarded to. Number five, privacy.com. Again, you don't have to use them. I find them incredibly convenient. In fact, I pay um, a monthly fee for my privacy.com account, but the amount I spend with them, I get well over $40 cash back each, each month. So it's uh, very much worth it. I, I actually earn more than I pay in the, in the monthly charge. Number six, my sudo. Uh, it doesn't have to be my sudo. If you want to use Google Voice, I know the, the de-Googlers out there are going to be uh, going completely crazy at this. But if you use a virtual phone number, you're not going to get SIM swap attacked. Maybe that's a very low risk for you, but um, I highly recommend it nonetheless. And finally, use Simple Mobile or Mint for a prepaid SIM option using privacy.com or even a Visa gift card so you can pay for that in an alias name. Now, I did say don't give that number to anybody. There's one exception. I always put the well-being of myself and my family above everything else, including privacy. If for whatever reason my sudo is down or you use Google Voice and they've ripped your phone number away, which can happen, and there's an emergency, I want my family members to be able to contact me. So my wife and kids are the only ones that have that real SIM card number. Always put yourself first. Privacy is great. It's all good fun. I do this as a hobby as well. I want to see how far I can push it, but the number one rule I go by is the well-being of myself and my family always comes first. And that concludes the very first episode of the lockdown. Now, the timing is very uncanny because just as I was uh, recording that last piece, I heard this huge bang outside. Unfortunately, I didn't catch it on my mic, but it sounds like a transformer has exploded somewhere in the neighbourhood. The power briefly went out, my UPS kicked in. Um, but luckily, I've still got this podcast recording and uh, it's all we're all safe. OK, so as I conclude this very first episode of the lockdown, remember, privacy can often be seen as this huge undertaking and it can actually get some people down. When you look at all the different things you need to do to really become anonymous online, it can seem really overwhelming. And quite often I've seen privacy fatigue where people just give up. And let's not aim for perfection. I don't believe 100% privacy is even possible. Just take practical steps every day. And over weeks and months and years, you will become more resilient and private online. I do hope you enjoyed the show. And every week I'm going to share a story of something interesting I've found or even something that's happened to me, along with the tips and tricks that I'm using on a day-to-day basis. Stay safe out there and thank you so much for listening.